You ready? Um, so I already kind of gave you the answer to this, but what scripture is the definition of faith? Nope. <laughs> what is the scripture I gave you earlier? It's the definition of faith. You don't remember? The evidence of things not known. Romans 4.21. Romans 4.21. Being fully convinced that God is able to deliver on what he promised. Right? Because the very next verse says, this is why Abraham's faith was counted to him as righteousness. Faith. We're going to talk about faith. Alright. So, we've been taught Hebrews 11.1. Anybody tell me exactly what Hebrews 11.1 says? Don't, don't quote a scripture to me. Tell me what it says literally. No. Yeah. If you got it in Greek, I'll take it. <laughs> what it says in Greek is yet... Trust, right? We'll put faith underneath there. Faith, right? Is ah. Good trust is expectation. It's not the word hope. Hope today means maybe yes, maybe no. Right? It's not the word used in Greek. Because hope, 200 years ago, 300 years ago, 400 years ago, meant for certain this is going to happen. Doesn't mean the same today. The word actually breaking apart is expect. Expectation. Every time you find the word hope in the New Testament, it is the word expect or expectation. It's a very bad translation. Because today our mentality is, well, I can hope for it, but it doesn't mean it will actually happen. Which goes against God's nature. Right? It's not partiality. It's, in fact, it says that anybody who's double-minded cannot receive anything from the Lord. What is hope today is double-mindedness. Maybe it will happen. Maybe it won't happen. Right? So you see, in Greek, it will say, yet faith is expectation. This changes a lot. Just with this section of the verse. Of, and then you see, 
Whenever you look at the, the literal translation of Greek, you, in English, they, they take, uh, translators take a liberal um, approach to it, and they add words into it to make it make sense. But whenever you see exactly what it says, it doesn't say things. It doesn't say A or R and all these other things unless it specifically says R. You understand what I'm saying? So they, they put all these things in to make it sound better. So you can read it easier. So the word substance, is the word substance there? You got your phone, check it out. I gave you the scripture, the, the places you can check. So what? Setting? Okay, I don't trust theirs, but I understand what you're saying. Theirs will give you a definition of a word that is not even in the Greek manuscript, as if it's there. No. <laughs> Studybible.info, scriptureforall.org. So let's look. Let's look. Oh, yeah, I forgot I'm on the Wi Fi. Yes. So we're going to break apart what it actually says in Hebrews 11.1. 1. Sound good? So I can work you, I can show you, basically I can work you through it so you can see it for yourself. Because this is what I want you to see. I want you to see how I've gotten where, where I've gotten. Okay. And I'll, I know you can't all see my cell phone from here where you're at, even though it's a big screen. Can you see it? <laughs> You're right here. <laughs> that is funny. I'm sorry. <laughs> so even though here in this translation, in English, it says so says hope. If I click on the Greek or the the Strong's word for it, the beautiful thing about StudyBible.info is it actually gives you the LSJ. The Dodson, the Strongs, the Thayers. Oh, I'm sorry. I clicked on something accidentally. So it says to hope for, look for, expect. Right? Then you go down to Dodson. It means I hope, hope for, expect, trust. You go to the, the Strongs, and it says to expect or confide. So specifically, it's always expect. Okay? So we can see just from looking at three different sources, the word always means expect. So now, if we come back over here, it says, um, if we click on now, we will see that it actually just means yet. Yet faith. Um, I'll have to go back to that. Sorry. 
So we're going to go, it doesn't say things and it doesn't say the, right? So there's, on here, if you can look around, let me back up a little quick. You see in parentheses, right? There's a number in parentheses, number in parentheses, you see it's highlighted? It's highlighted yellow in parentheses right next to the word. That tells you the context of the word itself, the verbiage. So if I click on it, so it means expect, right? So whenever I click on it, it actually goes into tenses. It tells me that it's present tense, passive voice, participle mood. So what if I don't know what these mean? Oh, okay, well, it has a number there. I can click on the number. So for present, I know that's, everybody knows what present is, right? But just so you know, present tense re represents a simple statement of fact or reality viewed as occurring in actual time, right? So you can see all the tools for everything is right here and it allows you to see exactly what it's being said. All right, so we go to the next word. So it's expect or expectation, and we go to, to G 5287, which is the next word, which means that which settles at the bottom. That which is settles at the bottom. Does that sound confusing to you? <laughs> so it says faith, is the expectation of that which settles at the bottom, okay? Or an assurance, right? So we can, we can keep the word assurance. The expectation of insurance of and we can break it down further. Of that which has been done, a deed, a thing done, a matter, an action, a matter, an affair. So something that's been done. So it doesn't even say of things. You see how far that is off? You see how far? It doesn't even say of things. It's an action of something that has been done. Right? We go to the next word for conviction. It loads across examining, testing, a reproach, disgrace, dishonor, it even means. Did you know that? It's not just positive, it actually has negative connotation to it as well. So a proof or persuasion. So I will personally just use the word cross examining. Because when you cross-examine something, you know for sure that it's proved that it's absolute. Okay? Um, now, understand, I have a legal background. I was studying to be an attorney, a lawyer. A lawyer. It says not seen. So the word there, I can click on it, for seen, it actually says perceiving. So it's something you cannot see, nothing, something you cannot be perceiving by your physical eyes. So not seen still works. So it says, now faith, expectation of, of assurance, the done deal, right? It is done. 
And what was conviction again? Cross-examining or testing of something not seen. So basically, what is it saying? I know it sounds a little confusing because I don't have it written on the board and I'm not breaking it down that way. But basically, what is it saying? The what? You tried to prove it? No. No. There's actually scripture that plainly states what Hebrews 11 1 actually means. Mark 11 24. Right? Do you see it? Can you cross examine it and see it? No. Something that's tested that you can't see. Right? But you have to believe that you receive. You have the expectation of the assurance. Right? So you see, Hebrews 11.1 1 is not the definition of faith. It's the application of faith. Okay? So I challenge you, go back, break it down, look at it in Scripture for All. Scripture for All lines it out perfectly. You're going to see exactly what it says. It doesn't say things anywhere in there. Nowhere in there does it say things. Man put things in there. Wrong translation. Doesn't belong there. Okay? So looking at the word faith, I told you earlier, all it means is trust. Right? Faith today is a legal term. Did you know that? We go to court, and you'll hear them say, we will take your testimony, brother, on good faith. What does that mean? It means whatever you say, under oath, we are trusting that you're being truthful. Right? So all faith is, is trust. Don't you find it interesting that faith is nowhere in the Old Testament? Nowhere in the Old Testament. What do you find all over the Old Testament? Trust in the Lord your God. So if we go to Septuagint, we, we take pistis, that's a Greek word for, uh, for faith. Well, for trust, that's actually correct, yeah. And so if we go back to the Old Testament, and so everywhere it says the word trust, it's pistis. It's true. It's faith. So all I'm doing is demystifying the word faith to, see, to show you how simple it is. It's very easy. All it is is trust. Trust God. That simple. Because God is trustworthy. Because we looked at his nature. We looked at the devil's nature. The devil is the father of lies. He's a thief, a murderer, a destroyer, a deceiver. Right? Look at God's nature. True, constant, faithful. Who are you going to trust? The world has taught us to trust the devil. Trust yourself. Well, if you're fallen and you're under his domain, what does that mean? You're trusting him. You're choosing his word over God's word. 
And you have to decide, which word am I going to believe? And act upon it. If you truly believe God's word, then you will show the fruit of his word by how you live. Period. Right? So when you're training people, you need to teach them the understanding of God's nature because everything flows out of the very nature of God. Everything. God doesn't have to try to be God. He's just God. Right? He's good. That's who he is. That's who you are. Because now it's your nature. Second Peter 1 4, what does it say? Second Peter 1 4. Come on. That's what I'm talking about. That's good. It's good. Good stuff. So by his precious and great promises, it, it makes us partakers of his divine nature. Amen. Of the divine nature. Which is only his. Only his nature is divine. But you have to understand the promises that we've been given. I'm telling you, it's a slight change, but it changes everything. The way I look at the new creation, completely different. I begin to look at the value of people according to God's word. He values each and every one of you. You, have a, you are a central part of his plan. The devil spends his utmost strength to convince you otherwise. And he is a liar. Think about that. You're important to God. The Lord wants to tell you you're insignificant. You're just a number. You don't matter. And God says you matter. Every aspect. You matter. Then you begin to get an idea of the enormous value that God placed on us, that he sowed a perfect son. Not to reap half good sons. You understand what I'm saying? Tainted sons. No. He sowed a perfect son to reap perfect sons. God has made you perfect. Exactly. So this is important. You need to begin to see yourself the way God sees you. So let's go back to faith. Can I, can I blow your mind a little bit? If I haven't started already? Yes? Huh? Sound good to you? All right, we are going to go to Mark eleven twenty two. Ah, 
do we go there first? Do we go there first? Should we go there first? No, let's, let's go to Philippians 4, 6. Philippians 4, 6. Philippians 4, 6. Let's start off there. Beautiful, right? Except the word request isn't the word request. You know what it is? It's a word that says request effects. The effects of a request. Okay? So in modern language, that would mean answers. So don't be given to anxiousness. Don't worry. But through prayer and thanksgiving, let your answers be known to God. I'm showing you a secret here. This is a secret. Let your answers be known to God. So you ask, right? then you thank him for it as if you already have it. That's what it's saying. Go to 1 John. Um, was it 5.15? 1 John 5.15. Yeah. Come on. Come on. Read it again. That's good stuff. Right, so the word there is in petitions. It's the exact same Greek word used in Philippians 4 6, which is answers. We know that we have the answers we have asked of Him because we have the confidence that He hears us. Right? So let me ask you a question. Every prayer that Jesus has ever prayed, did he get all did he always get his answer? Okay. Trying to decide if I'm gonna ask you a trick question or not. <laughs> He's like, oh no. <laughs> it's like well, the thing is, Jesus prays for us. Says he intercedes for us, right? He prays for us. And he always gets what he asks for. Come on. Something to get excited about. Think about this. You see how when we focus on just dominion authority, we're barely touching the tip because it's the byproduct. It's not the tree itself. It's not the trunk. But when you look at Jesus, he is the trunk. He's the source of life. So when you understand the very nature of God and that nature is in you, and that anything you tell Father, anything you ask Him, He can't help but with, He's not going to withhold it from you. He can't help but give it to you. Anything. Does it say anything? Anything. I'm telling you, this is amazing. 
So I use this with prayer for the sick. I pray for somebody, and you can ask Daisy. Every time we go, we get alone. We start thanking God for their healing, no matter what we see with our eyes. What are we doing? According to Thessalonians, we are praying without ceasing. You ever thought about that? Praying without ceasing. If it meant literally praying without ceasing, it means we couldn't eat, we couldn't sleep, we couldn't use the restroom, we couldn't do a bunch of stuff. But when you see the heart of what it's saying, is prayer is prosu in Greek, I'm probably slaughtering that name, that word, but it's prosu, which means pros, which means towards, chu, towards wish, vow, or intent. Okay? So it's bigger than what we think it is. We always think prayer is just this way. Right? What happens when you declare something? It becomes this way. Do you know that? So I can, I can take you through the entire Old Testament. I've done a teaching on it before. Showing. We go to James 5 and it says, Elijah, a man of same passion, the same nature, prayed and it didn't rain. And he prayed again and then it rained. But when you go to 1 Kings chapter 17, you find out the very first verse, Elisha the Tishbite went before King Ahab and declared, it shall not rain on the earth for three years. Right? Then God talks to him. Nowhere in there do we have any evidence whatsoever that God told him to go tell Ahab. Nowhere in there is it. So what was the prayer? It shall not rain on the earth for three years. Then we, go, we fast forward to go to chapter 18 or so, right? And it says, he goes up to the mountain. What does he do? He bows himself down in the opposite direction, puts his head between his legs, doesn't utter a word that we know of. But he tells his servant, go check. What do you see? And we often think he just turned around and said, uh, nothing. Right? But obviously he had to go travel a bit to check and then come back and tell him there's nothing there. Seven times. Seven times it happens. Behold, I see a cloud in the, in the shape of a man's hand. And what did Elijah say? Run. Go tell King Ahab to finish his dinner and hurry home or the rain will stop him in his tracks. Right? Yes. Good question. Excellent question. Why did it take Jesus two times to pray for the guy who was blind? <laughs> the point is that that's not what's important. 
It's not. We focus on the wrong things. This is one of the biggest things that I learned about faith. God always honors faith. Hebrews 11 is a testament to that. That's what it's about. All these men of God throughout history that God honored their faith. Period. They all prayed different. They were all in different circumstances. Right? But what pleased God? Faith. Because they believe that he exists and that he is trustworthy. Think about that. He's pleased because they, people recognize that he is trustworthy. So that's all we have to realize is God is completely trustworthy. It's very simple. I'm telling you, it's super simple. You decide he's trustworthy. So when you go to lay hands on the sick, it's just like this. I, I have uh, my, Greek, uh, my Greek scholar friend his two children. And when I met him, the children were 7 and 12. Okay? Now they're 10 and 15. And he would always take them to go pray for the sick. So he's like, now Garrett, you're going to pray for this gentleman here. And this is how they would pray. Be healed in Jesus' name. They get back on their, their Game Boy. <laughs> Kid you not. And so my friend, Gladys would be like, so check it out. How is it? Oh my gosh, I'm healed. How was the kid? <laughs> That's it. The older one, he makes me laugh even, even harder because he's like this. Be on Jesus' name. Tries to see how fast he can get him healed with barely touching him. That's what he does. But he knows that it's not him. He just knows what the word of God says because of the example of his father. And we make it so complicated. I have to say the right thing. I need to make sure I cover all my bases. And it's everything against what God, what Jesus said himself. We shouldn't pray. Go back and read Matthew 6. Says they, don't pray like the heathen. Praying long prayers because they think God will hear them because they prayed these long prayers. Because it's not out of your own soul that heals the person. It's out of the very spirit of God in you, the very nature of God in you, that the person is completely healed and set free. So you want to see 100% of people healed? Simple. Get your soul out of the way. Very simple. Stop trying to heal the sick. And just heal them. What, what do you mean? <laughs> Talking like Yoda. Try you mustn't. Do you must. Right? That's what he says. Try you mustn't. Do you must. Jesus didn't say, go try to heal the sick. Go ahead. Go try to heal the sick. No. He said, heal the sick in any city you enter. Heal them. Right? I'm so blown away that 
and raise the dead and cast out demons and everything else. What were they demonstrating? I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. Thanks. <laughs> but it's like, when you think about it, what were they preaching? They were preaching the gospel of the kingdom of heaven, the gospel of the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God like? Is there any sickness? Is there any sin? No. See, I lost some of you there. What? Is there any lack? Is there any depression? Sorrow? Zero. Zero of any of those things. So let me blow your mind a little bit. I was in Bolivia. I started getting an understanding of this. This, this young man and his mom came up and they wanted to give their lives to Jesus Christ. I was like, awesome. Okay. I don't pray a prayer with people. Nowhere in the scriptures you find pray a prayer. Nowhere. I make sure they understand about the, I understand the severity of the decision they are making. Okay? So I went to him and I said, okay, it's not about a prayer. People pray prayers all the time and go and do the exact opposite. So, do you understand that what you're saying by declaring that Jesus is your Lord, that you are marrying Jesus? You are marrying Jesus for eternity. Hmm? Yes. You're laying down your life. You're making him your Lord for eternity. Something you need to sit down, you need to consider. That's what Jesus preached. Before a builder builds, he sits down and makes sure he counts the cost to make sure he can complete what he's, he's committing himself to. Right? So I talk to them, make sure they understand you're making a commitment to God, not to me, not to this church. You're making a commitment to God to serve him and to lay your life down for him. Right? Very simple. And I had just pre been preaching about the kingdom of God. And so they said, yes, we want to make this decision. We, we want to declare Jesus as Lord. I said, okay, before we declare Jesus as Lord, God told me, the lady has pain in her body. So excuse me, ma'am, you have, you have pain in your legs. And she was like, yes, I do. I was like, watch this. I'm not going to pray for you. I was like, as soon as you declare that Jesus is Lord, Colossians 1.13, you're going to be transferred from the domain, the kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of his beloved son, and you're going to be healed. She's looking at me like, what are you talking about? I'm like, watch. She's like, well, what do I say? I was like, well, declare that Jesus is Lord. So I said a little prayer with them. Not to lead them into it or anything like that, but just so they understood what they were doing. And then they declared that Jesus is Lord. And said, where's your pain? And she looks at my wife, Daisy. She goes, no, I? And Daisy's like, what? She's like, there's no pain. 
right? No I in Spanish? I don't I don't have. Right? And she's like, No I she starts, she bends over, she starts touching her legs, she starts moving them around, she's marching up and down and everything. And I go, that is proof to you that you are now in the kingdom of God. Amen. So what does that mean also? That means there's no sickness. Anybody in the kingdom of God should not be sick. You know why? Because that's the kingdom of darkness. That's the rules of the darkness. That's the wrong kingdom. But when you're in the kingdom of God... No sickness should be there. So what's happened in the past? We've allowed the devil to rob us of our inheritance by deceiving us that we are still under his domain. We are no longer under his domain. We are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We represent his kingdom. Not our kingdom. We represent his kingdom. As his children. So think about this. Jesus instructed disciples, you go out, you pray for the sick. Right? You lay hands on them. Heal them. We, we went over this. He didn't tell them try to heal them. He said heal them. But first declare, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is near. So what was he telling them? He was telling them, let me show you what the kingdom of God is like. Sickness, go. And they were healed. They were demonstrating the kingdom of God. Isn't this amazing? I'm telling you, I got goosebumps. Tell me how we talk about this. Holy, this is amazing stuff. So I started changing my mindset. started changing my paradigm. And then so I go back to Mark 11, 22. God wouldn't let me off of it. Yeah, just Mark 11, 22. Very simple. Very simple. Right? Have faith in God. I was like, okay. Right. It says what it says. It says what it says. Right? No, it doesn't. It's not what it says. It says, Jesus answering, it says, answering Jesus um, says, so yes, Jesus says answering them, right? Um, when you read Greek, word for word, it sounds like Yoda. In Star Wars, I'm, I kid you not, it sounds like Yoda. So it's like, answering, is, I'm answering Jesus says to them, right? <laughs> Have faith of God. Have faith of God. Layman terms today is, have God's faith. What? That's what happened to me. I was like, he's God. What is it saying? I know. When I was reading it, I was like, okay, I heard he had gotten a revelation that all faith is is trust. So have God's trust. Isaiah 55, 10, 10 through 12. What does it say? Isaiah 55. 
verses 10 through 12. Jesus giving an example of. He's saying, have God's trust that when you declare something, when you speak something forth, it's going to happen. It's not going to return to you void. Do you see this? This is what he's instructing his disciples. They've already gone out. They've seen these sick healed. And they come back in, and this is his answer. What's the very next verse? 23. Mark 11, 23. Come on. So isn't that what saying? Exactly what verse 22 says? But look at the example Jesus gave. Speak to the mountain until it be cast in the sea. What is that? Creation. He's giving them the understanding of God at creation. Speaking forth and seeing it happen. Amazing stuff, isn't it? No wonder it says that they marveled. When they were around the disciples and Jesus says they marveled. People marveled and said, Whoa, unto God. Praise be unto God for giving such power unto men. Right? You know what it says? You are sons of God. Unlimited power. Authority, dominion, everything abides in you. So I'm going to ask you a question. Leading into the, we're going to take a break here in a second. <laughs> I'm going to ask you a question. What or who is the kingdom of God? Who said the answer? Jesus. So the kingdom of God is within you. Who's within you? Jesus. Yeah. So you abide in me, I will abide in you. And me and my father will come and make my, our abode in you. Right? That's what it says. Is this helping anybody? Yeah? A little bit? You've heard this before. <laughs> yes? No? Maybe so? <laughs> Are you awake? <laughs> so we're going to take a small break. And when I come back, I will talk to you about Dunamis.